1980, uh, during the Olympic Games, one of the most stunning upsets in uh, USA history happened when the USA Olympic team, uh, the USA Olympic hockey team, uh, made up of mostly amateur players, upset uh, the Soviet Union, made up of mostly um, professional players. They had won four of five gold medals in the Olympics. Uh, The Russian team, they said, was undefeatable. Uh, And the American team, made up of mostly uh, college students and unprofessional uh, amateur players, upset them. It's what's known as the miracle on ice. Uh, They've actually made a movie about it. Um, You can... Watch that movie. And of course, uh, just a side note for you, if, if you're into a little bit of a history lesson here, they have an ESPN 30 for 30 on the Russians' take on why they were upset in that game. So it's very interesting, and it's very, uh, I think it's worth a watch if you have the time to look that up. But we love stories like this. Of course, we really love this story as Americans because it was in a very uh, difficult time in U.S. history where um, we needed something, a shot in the arm, to give us that sense of pride back, to give us that sense of belonging back. And we love a story where uh, the underdog wins. Or it's, it's a lot of the reasons why a lot of people like to read the book of Revelation And they like to read the book of Daniel because it tells of uh, us winning in the end. Uh, And not just in the days of the exile, but looking forward to a conquering king. uh, One who one day would return and us uh, being God's people would share in that victory with him. Where he would reign in absolute peace, absolute justice, and power. And we like that. So that's what we're going to be studying Uh, In Daniel, Uh, we will be in the first six chapters of Daniel. We will not uh, be in the last six uh, chapters of Daniel, but we're going to be in the first six. So you can follow along in the next six weeks. We're going to be doing a chapter a week. So you can follow along and reading ahead if you'd like to do that. So a few of the books that I have used in uh, looking at this series, I just put them up on the screen so you can look at those. Mostly the one I'm using is called Christ-Centered Exposition by Daniel Aiken, and uh, as I was talking to Landon about this, it kind of got me excited, because this is who I think is coming for our marriage conference next year, so I'll I'll have him sign my copy of it, and it'll be awesome, right? So, uh, Daniel Aiken says this, the theme of the book of Daniel is without a doubt the sovereignty of God in all things. He is sovereign over the big things like international powers. He is sovereign over the small things. He is sovereign over history and is sovereign concerning the future. Our God is sovereign. So Daniel split up in two parts. First six chapters will focus on the prophet Daniel and a few of his companions, a few of his buddies. And then 7 through 12 deal with the prophecies of Daniel. But like I said, we're going to be primarily dealing with the first six chapters. Um, The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, Do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And this verse uh, is essential for our lives. And I think Daniel would agree that this verse would, uh, would be essential in their lives as well. Uh, of course, they didn't have that verse. But what I'm saying is they knew that they could not conform to this world. But they needed a renewing of their mind. And we're going to see how Daniel and his buddies uh, lived uh, in that same manner. The timetable spans from about 605 to 539 B.C. Daniel is going to encourage God's people to trust God, remain faithful no matter what happens. Um, So chapter 1, let's get into it. Uh, The big idea of chapter 1 is even when we face trials and opposition, we must remain faithful to God. Even in the face of trials and opposition, we must remain faithful to God. Because the God of Daniel will make his name famous. So let's start reading. Daniel chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So a little history. We have the northern uh, tribes of Israel taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Sometime later, we have the southern tribes of Judah taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And this uh, would be one of the worst times in the history of God's people. Uh, they've been conquered. A good portion of them have probably been wiped out. And here we have where the best of the best will be taken into captivity. So why? Why would God send us, why would God send God's people into that type of a place? Uh, Let's look at the first point. God works despite our failures. God works despite our failures. I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to look at some of the reasons why Judah had been taken into captivity. Moses is going to write in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it's kind of funny that the first 14 verses are God's promises of blessing if they choose a life of obedience And then you have verses 15 through 68 uh, that will talk about what will happen if you disobey. So, uh, a little bit longer of a list. We're going to get a great picture of why this has happened to them. Uh, Verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today... Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall be a horror to the, all the kingdoms of the earth. Skip down to verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Uh, 
So this was God's plan. Um, Knowing that his people would turn away from him. Knowing that his people would not obey the commandments that he was laying before them. He knew that his people would be driven from the land. And despite the sin of his people, our God is sovereign. And he will continue to do a work despite our failures. You know, I'm really happy that God chooses to continue to work in our lives despite our failures. When we mess up, when we fail him. Whether in small, um, what we would consider small insignificant failures or big, big failures. Our God is sovereign and continues to work in our lives. Let's look at the next point. God works as he scatters his people. In addition to the temple vessels being taken away and placed in pagan temples, um, Nebuchadnezzar orders a man named Espinaz to deport members, both royal family and nobility, uh, a way to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And while on the surface this looks like a total defeat, God is working all of these steps along the way. Uh, Daniel Aiken said it perfectly, and I just have to quote him because this is beautiful. Uh, He described the deportation as this, a divine invasion of enemy territory. The city of man is being invaded by the city of God. Babylon, a land full of ziggurats, idols, false gods. The city that opposes the true God is now being infiltrated by the Lord's army. I couldn't have said it any better myself. So, even in the midst of their punishment for their disobedience, God is still interested in his own glory. God is still interested in making his name known. And that's exactly what he's going to do. Let's look at the second part. The God of Daniel offers a way for you to remain faithful to him. Let's continue reading in verse 3. Then the king commanded Espinez, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So, today we live in this... um, post-Christian context with this ever-increasing non-Christian worldview, this secular worldview and culture. Uh, We have pressures that uh, lean on us from all directions on what we are to think, what we are to believe, what we are to tolerate, what we're not to tolerate. And it's amazing how many of these things we will see happen to Daniel and his friends even in the exile. Uh, they had it no different than, in the exile as we do today. Uh, 
they were bombarded from every direction to leave their old way of life behind and to embrace this new worldview and this new way of life. And let's look at some ways that this happens. First of all, isolation. The Babylonians took these four young guys um, out of everything that they had ever known. They took them away from their homes. They took them out of their land. More than likely, their families were killed. Uh, And if they weren't killed, they took them away from their families, away from their friends. I want you to imagine being a teenager and being taken away from your home and your family and even taken to a foreign land. I remember uh, moving to the foreign land of Odessa from Oklahoma when I was 23 years old. And while I had five or six friends here in Odessa that I knew, it was amazing uh, the feeling of loneliness once I got here because the family interaction in the evenings, sitting down to a meal, all those things were taken away. It wasn't taken away. I came here on my own accord, but... um, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that feeling of loneliness that I felt when I got here. Now, of course, over a few months, you meet some new friends. You start, you know, going out with people to dinner and things like that. And it all went away fairly quickly. Um, I'm not one to stick to myself. But I want you to imagine, try to put yourself in a teenager's shoes and have this happen to you. They would have been very vulnerable, They would have been easy targets for a new teaching. Easy assimilation into a new way of life. You know, as a former youth pastor, uh, sadly enough, I would tell you that I saw this many times in student ministry. Where students who are raised in a Christian home, raised right here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and their parents will send them off to a secular university And all of a sudden, they really don't know what their thoughts are on God. They really don't know if what they believed and thought was true is true anymore. And they will turn and walk away from the church, uh, sometimes from their family, from their faith. And as a former youth pastor, it would break our hearts. Crystal and I have had endless conversations about students who would walk away from their faith. Now, a lot of them, after 10 or 12 years of searching, would come back to the church and be like, we're just, we don't understand where it all went wrong. Like, well, we can tell you. And, uh, but it would be very easy for them to just jump into a new way of thinking, a new way of life. Very easy to just join in and believe whatever they've been told. And I'm not telling you, that to not send your child to college or to a secular university. What I am telling you is that preparation needs to take place before you send them off to a secular university. Um, Because that's exactly what happens with Daniel and their friends. So isolation, secondly, indoctrination. Verse 4 shows us that these four guys were some of the best. Because that's who the Babylonians would take. The brightest, the best looking... And they would begin this process of teaching them all about the Babylonian culture, all about the Babylonian way of life, their language, their philosophy, their science, their history, their astrology, their religion. We're going to talk about this a little more next week, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but which is why 
the first, uh, Daniel chapter 1, is in one language, and then it switches in Daniel 2. And then, of course, towards the end of Daniel, you will see it switch to another language. Why? We'll talk about that next week. Just a little plot twist for you there. So, thirdly, assimilation. This was to be a three-year breakdown. To take these Yahweh... Uh, worshiping Hebrew slaves to break them down, to remove their culture, to implement their a, a new culture, and it was a three-year process. They were to be immersed in it. And yes, that started uh, with food as well. So they wanted to give them a taste of what the Babylonian way of life was, all that the Babylonians had to offer, and they were just breaking them down. And at the end of this three years, they would come before the king and there would be this final exam, this test and how they did. So lastly, there was confusion. These guys all had names that honored the one true God. But they had their names changed so that they honored the Babylonian gods. I found this chart and you can see it up on the, on the screen, but... Uh, many scholars believe that their name changed had something to do with what's up on the screen where Daniel meant Yahweh is my judge and it was changed to Belshazzar, protected by Baal. Hananiah, Yahweh has given or is gracious. Shadrach, commanded by A.Q. And you see how these young men's name were changed. Their names that gave Honor and praise to Yahweh, the one true God. And they were given names that uh, gave honor and praise to the gods of the Babylonians, to these pagan gods. So these guys' names were changed. They wanted them to forget Yahweh. And they wanted them to forget everything that their culture had taught them. And this was meant to confuse these young men. Away from the worship of God, towards a new worship of these gods of their new home. Never was it more important for these four teens to be in the world, but not of the world. So how? How could these guys, how can we remain faithful to God, remain faithful to Yahweh in the midst of that type of uh, trial in their life? Let's continue reading verse 8. says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths who are eating the king's food be observed to you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. You know, this verse, as I read this verse, it really 
made me start thinking about the first few chapters of Psalm and the book of Psalms. And Psalm 1 depicts uh, the character of the Messiah. And Psalm 2 promises his reign to come. And Psalm 1 talks about a guy who doesn't take the advice of the wicked, but delights in the instruction of the Lord. And I think that these guys, having been trained by their parents, having been taught by their parents and by their family that love the Lord and passed on that teaching to their children the way that Deuteronomy tells, us, tells them to, with, to love Yahweh with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, they were prepared. They were prepared when it came time to uh, have this test thrown at them. They were prepared for the trial that was to come. Daniel and his friends were prepared. So how can we be prepared in this moment? First of all, we resist the temptation to defile ourselves. To defile yourself. Let me just again say this. We have to be prepared before the temptation comes. There has to be a time when you are being taught and you are being pointed towards Yahweh before the temptation comes. Verse 8. Daniel determined. If you like to write in your Bible, you need to circle that word. All that the culture was trying to do to change him from the inside out would not work because Daniel beforehand had determined what he would let in okay so what about food this is something as simple as food it is it really that big of a deal they're not asking you to bow a knee to Baal. they're not asking you to worship a pagan idol this is just food you have to eat to survive that's pretty common knowledge the reason here is not entirely given uh, but They did not want to eat the king's food. Uh, You can point back to Leviticus chapter 11. And some of the foods that uh, God's people were allowed to eat. And the foods that God's people were not allowed to eat. And some people point to that. Uh, Some people point to Deuteronomy 6. Where some of the food was um, sacrificed to idol worship. And they did not want to eat those. So... There were some dietary laws that God's people had set, that God had set for his people. And many people believe that they were, did not want to disobey God because of these dietary rules. Um, Dale Davis says it this way, Babylon is simply smothering Daniel and his friends. And Daniel may well have thought there is a real danger here. But he recognized that if Babylon... Or the world and its values gets into you. The show is over. Daniel and his friends were forced to be in Babylon. But they were not. They had already made up their mind. That they would not let Babylon get into them. They knew they had to be there. They were exiled there. They had to live there. But they were not going to let Babylon get inside of them. And the stand that they were taking. Did not happen overnight. This was years in the making. So first, resist the temptation to defile yourself. Two, win the favor of those in authority when possible. Daniel was smart, uh, but he was also blessed by God. And in the same way that God had handed King Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, 
he granted Daniel compassion from the chief eunuch. Daniel shared his faith and convictions with Espinez, and it moved this unbelieving official. And Daniel took a stand with grace, with humility, not being arrogant, not being proud, not being rude. And even as Espinez knew it was his head on the line, not Daniel or his buddies, they still found favor with the eunuch, and they were able to take the stand and obey their God. Lastly, wisely offer an alternative solution. We see that Daniel, of course, was wise beyond his years. When you really think about it, these guys had two options. They could, one, defile themselves by eating the king's food. Or two, their buddy Espinez is going to lose his head. That was really the two options that they had. But Daniel comes up with another way. One which neither of those have to happen. 12 and 13. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed to you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. You know, a lot of people uh, will go on a what they call a Daniel diet. This is funny. I think this is funny. But when people are on the Daniel diet, they are often trying to lose weight. And if you read this passage correctly, when they ate vegetables and drank water, they gained weight. So, no Daniel diet for me, all right? So, (laughs) their diet would be simple. It would not break any mosaic laws. Uh, It would not have offered, uh, the food would not have been offered to any pagan gods. It would not subject them to becoming more like the Babylonians. Or to put it plainly, Daniel just did not want to disobey God. He didn't want to disappoint his Lord. And he understands that they are in the position that they are in because of his people's disobedience to God. And he doesn't want to continue down that path. You know, uh, not very long ago we taught on heroes of our faith. And I had Daniel in that series One of the things that we like to do towards the end of that series is we like to talk about, of each lesson was, talk about how sinful that person was. What are some things that that person did wrong? And I had to go sit down in in Landon's office. I was like, man, I'm having a difficult time finding anything that Daniel did wrong. I mean, he honored Yahweh. He prayed to Yahweh. When they told him not to, he still did. He did all the things that you're supposed to do. I had a difficult time finding something that Daniel did wrong. And I think it's because Daniel understood, I am in exile because of disobedience. And he knew deep down inside that if that's where it leads my people, then it has to stop somewhere. So he wasn't going to do it. Even in the small things, he did not want to defile himself and he did not want to bring dishonor to God. Chuck Swindoll said it like this. In a world filled with people who rebel against the divine king, it is inevitable that believers of all ages will face uh, situations in which their convictions will be challenged. 
We who are parents need to prepare our children for those occasions by both teaching them God's truth and modeling integrity. And all of us who are Christians need to personally commit ourselves to living God's way regardless of temptation to live otherwise. This is what Daniel and his friends were taught. And this is how they would live. Or this is how they would die. And we're going to see in the chapters ahead that they were willing to do just that if it meant dishonoring their God. So how would God respond to their obedience and willingness to take a stand? Number three. The God of Daniel blessed them. Let's continue reading. So he listened to them in this matter. He tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were, in, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understood in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So first thing we see here is that God blessed them. First of all, God blessed them physically. They looked better than the other young men who were eating the king's food. And because they looked better, uh, the steward continued to remove their food and remove their wine, the king's food, and gave them vegetables. And Daniel and his friends honored God. And God had honored them by giving them favor, not only with healthy bodies, but God gave them favor with the guard. He gave them favor with the chief of the eunuchs. He gave them favor. Physically. Secondly, he gave them, uh, he blessed them mentally. If you like to draw in your Bibles, I want you to draw a circle around in verse 2, the Lord gave. Verse 9, God gave. And God gave again in verse 17. Knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. And verse 20 was the outcome. Ten times better than the best of the best that King Nebuchadnezzar already had. Can you imagine those guys who were raising up these four guys? And as they entered into the king's court, they were like, that's right. Those are my guys. You know, those brightest of the bright was me. Right? And they wanted to take the credit for that. But these four guys knew the origin of their success. They know God had given them the favor and that God had given them understanding. Thirdly, God blessed them spiritually. We're going to see this in the next several weeks as well. As uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have some dreams and Daniel is going to be able to interpret those dreams when no one else can. Uh, in, in possible situations, but God is going to reveal uh, 
uh, some very deep things to Daniel and his buddies. And we're going to see how God is going to bless them spiritually as well. Fourth, socially. God blessed them socially. After their three years of education, these guys would be brought before the king. They separated themselves from the rest of the people. Verse 19, among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And much like we see Joseph in the book of Genesis, who uh, was in a difficult place because of his brother selling him into slavery, he goes from being a slave to second in command to Pharaoh. And we are going to see the same type of thing happen with these guys. And that they are going to go straight to the top of the ladder of people of importance into the king's service. Even here in the Old Testament, uh, these guys are living out what we find in my son's Awana verse for the night. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 says this. Bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This is his verse. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. These guys knew who they were working for. They knew their service was to Yahweh. Yes, they were in service of the king. But they knew that they were in service to Yahweh. God will bless Daniel uh, for a very long time. Far beyond the Babylonian Empire into the reign of Cyrus. Um, John MacArthur says it like this. Daniel served in his influential position for 70 years. His integrity and uncompromising character had far-reached results. For when I see the wise men coming from the east, I think of the impact of Daniel's theology must have had upon the Chaldeans' astrology. God gave him influence that I believe led to the decree of Cyrus to send the people back to their land. Influence that led to the rebuilding of the wall under Nehemiah and to reestablishing the nation of Israel. Influence that eventually led the wise man to come to crown the king who was born in Bethlehem. Daniel was behind the scenes of the history of the Messiah as well as the Messiah's people. Daniel had unlimited influence for through his prophecy he brings homage to the one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords who reigns forever. So it's a pretty cool story here in Daniel chapter 1 where we see how these guys are being brought into a place of slavery and into a place of service and how God has his hands in that every step of the way. So how does this point to Jesus? First of all, God sends us to make himself known. God sends us to make him known. Daniel and his three Buddies remained faithful to their identity. Uh, they obeyed God in all things. And they had a shining testimony of what God was doing in their lives. But God sent them on this quote-unquote missionary journey. Having them leave what was familiar so that they might show the world how great God was. 
And this points us forward to a time 600 years later when another Hebrew would be sent from a foreign land to bear witness to the one true God. And that Jew's name was Jesus. And like Daniel and his friends, uh, the Son of God would leave his home, willingly embrace a sinful world, never defiling himself even once. Uh, Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a great sign of how we are to continue in this call that God has placed on us on this missionary journey. Chapter 5, starting in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake who made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God loved us and he sent his son to die in our place. And the same thing that these guys were doing 600 years before Jesus steps on the scene They were pointing people to Yahweh. That's the same thing Jesus did uh, 600 years later. And that's the same thing that we are supposed to be doing today. Pointing to an unbelieving world to Yahweh, the creator of the world. Jesus was the greater Daniel, the greater Hananiah, the greater Mishael, the greater Azariah. And how did, think about how Satan tempted Jesus to defile himself with food. The same way that these guys were tempted to defile themselves as well. Secondly, God calls us to be his faithful witnesses. Hebrews chapter 4. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. Daniel and his friends would stand before Hespanaz and King Nebuchadnezzar. And be brought to live in the king's palace. Jesus in contrast would give a faithful witness before Herod. And before Pilate. But he would be nailed to a cross. Verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 14. He says, Since then we have a great high priest. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God sends us to make himself known, but God also calls us to be as faithful witnesses in the world. So... By his death, all who trust him will live forever with the king and his eternal kingdom. So my encouragement to you is to be strong, take courage uh, in whatever God has called you to do. Whether that be in an oil field or a stay-at-home mom. Whatever God has called you to do, work with all of your might as you will do it for the Lord. No matter the situation that you're in. God is at work. We see it here in the life of these four 
Hebrew slaves in the middle of a pagan culture. And he is doing the same thing in us today. So let's join him in that work as he has called us to. So let's pray.